Uh, Matthew chapter 19 is where we're going to be. And we're going to start in verse 13. And stand as I read. The children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and they went away. And behold, a man came up to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all of these I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Father God, we, we love you. We are so thankful to be here in your house today. God, we, we pray for this upcoming year. God, I, I pray that this would be a year where we are shaped and transformed by your word, by the, the preaching of it, the reading of it, um, that we would hide it in our hearts, God, that we would dig deep into it and just let you do a good work in us. And make, make us like Jesus. That's, that's what we want to be like. We want to love like you and look like you and uh, put all of our hope in you. So just pray that you would be working in us this year and just help uh, Lincoln Avenue and the people here to glorify you in this upcoming year. In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. All right, so our passage today starts off with two different groups of people. So we have a group of seemingly unwanted kids, right? So that's how the disciples are treating these kiddos. And then we also have a rich young ruler. And both, both of these groups of people, they're coming to Jesus and, and they're wanting something from him, all right? Now, at first glance, um, we, we probably don't think that either of these passages really have a lot to do with one another, you know? So a bunch of, bunch of kids who want prayer from Jesus and this rich young ruler. But as I was studying this passage this week, I noticed that, um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all combined this together, okay? So in every one of the Gospels where these stories are told, they're, they're told right on top of each other, and it's talked about like it happened on the exact same day at the same time. So wh- what is Jesus trying to teach his disciples that day, and what is he trying to show us? And so today we're going to look at the condition of a person's heart and what that has to do with the kingdom of heaven. So we're going to start up, um, start off by looking at the children who come to Jesus. And that's how our passage opens. We have a whole group of kids and their proud mamas with them, right? So they're, they're trying to push them towards Jesus. Hey, pray for, pray for little Jimmy or pray for my kids. They're bringing them because they want Jesus to bless their kids. That, that's a good heart for a mom to have, man, to, to want Jesus to, to speak blessings to their kids' lives. So that's what the moms come to do. Um, but the disciples aren't seeing eye to eye with, with the mamas. They're saying, all right, Jesus has got much more important things to do right now 
than to pray for your kids, all right? So this is, I don't know if you know this, but this is the son of God and he's got important ministries to attend to. So, you, you know, why don't you guys just kind of step back and get out of the way and let Jesus do what's, what really matters in ministry. So that's kind of the disciple's heart. And um, men, people have that heart a lot of times when it comes to children's ministry. I know, that, that's what I do most of the time, all right? Usually I'm not standing up here. I'm back in some room with kids. And, and a lot of times that's how we look at kids. Like, all right, let's get them out of the way so the real stuff can happen. Man, we, we shouldn't look at them at all that way. And sometimes even when, when parents come up here to the church, their kids will come with them. And you know where the first place they run when they get here is? Either Pastor Andrew's office or mine. Okay, you know why? We never clean them. So they are literally like packed full of awesome, fun stuff that kids live. Like, you know, Nerf guns, giant Legos. Andrew's got like Frisbees all over the place and two like mini bikes. And the second kids get here, that's where they run, okay? Sometimes their parents come close behind them and they kind of have this, they're talking like the disciples. They say, get out of there, you know, don't bug them. They, they have more important stuff to do. But here's, here's the truth of it. Man, we should never be too busy to stop and love on some kids, whether they're your own or whether, whether they're other people's. Man, our God is a God who loves children and, and we need to be a people who loves children. We need to be a people who treats them like they're important because they are. And Jesus is about to teach his disciples an awesome lesson with kids. So th- these guys who've been following him for a couple years now in his ministry, they've seen him do all these wonderful things. He's gonna, he's gonna show them what they can learn from these kids. And really it's not the first time at all that, that Jesus has taught this type of lesson. Um, a, a lot of times he, he tells his disciple this and he uses kids to kind of show him a picture. It's kind of like, you know, as, as parents, when we tell our kids the same truths over and over and over again, so it'll stick. Jesus does that a lot. So he says it one way in verses 14 and 15 in our passage. So we'll read that real quick. Um, Jesus responded, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And then he laid his hands on them and they went away. So Jesus is, is telling his disciples, hey, you're seeing things wrongly. You might, you might think these kids are unimportant and have nothing to offer and that they're getting in the way, but Jesus actually looks at his disciples and said, you guys are the ones getting in the way, all right? You move and let them come to me, okay? And, and he makes this really profound statement to his disciples. He says, the kingdom of heaven, it's built for people like them. Okay, and, and let's flip back one chapter to Matthew 18 because Jesus says this um, in verses one through four and he says it with a little more context. So starting in verse 18. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So again, we see this focus on the kingdom of heaven and, and what kind of heart God likes. And calling to them a child, he put him in the midst and he said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like this child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles at himself or himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is using children as a picture of what kind of heart he likes to see in his people. He's saying, you want to know what saving faith looks like? You know what kind of people I love to dump my grace into? Look at these kids, right? Yes, they're unimpressive. Yes, they have nothing to offer. They have no reason to brag or boast. Come to me like that. You, you come to me with a heart that says, God, man, you are glorious and I am nothing. And I want what you have. So that, that's how Jesus wants to, um, us to approach him in a right 
humility that not only understands how glorious and awesome he is, but understands how needy and impoverished we are. So, so that's the first truth. God wants us to come with a humble and a right heart towards him that, that doesn't make a big deal out of anything that we've done. Then enters the rich man, okay? And you'll see real quick how these stories go together. Um, he, also, he also comes looking for something. He says, how do I get eternal life, right? That's, that's what he wants to know. He's looking for the kingdom of heaven and eternal life. But he doesn't come at all like the kids. He doesn't come humbly. And let, let's see how he comes in verse 16. And behold, a man came to, up to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life. So right, right from the get-go, we see that this man comes with the notion in his head that there's some way he can earn eternal life, right? That there's something that he can do. He says, what, what's the good deed? What's the good work that I can do? Now, th- this is not um, an uncommon way of thinking, okay? It wasn't back then, thousands of years ago. This, this thinking is alive and well today. It's how most of our world works, really, okay? So, man, um, you, do you want to check? You better have a job right? You, you got to work for it. Um, if you want to win a gold medal in the Olympics, you better spend your life training to be better than everyone else, right? You want a promotion at work. You better show up before everybody else, leave after everybody else, and pretend like you like your boss, right? Those are, those are things that are necessary. If, if you want something, usually you have to do some kind of work or you have to earn it, okay? That's what it usually looks like. But this is not the way the uh, kingdom of heaven works, all right? This is not how um, salvation works. There's no good deed to get eternal life. Um, This man is coming with with works-based salvation. He's saying, I'll earn it, you pay me, okay? I'll do something for you, you do something for me, but that's not how God's plan of salvation works. And this is why. Um, Work salvation is built on these two lies. Number one, that God needs something from you and I, okay? And number two, that we can look impressive to him, okay? Those are two big fat lies, okay? What, what am I gonna do for the God of the universe? Like, what does he need from me? Like the one who, who spoke all things into existence and who knows my frame, the one who, when he speaks, like mountains melt away is what Psalms say, and the, the whole foundations of the earth shake. What does that guy need from Daniel Castro? Nothing, right? What am I going to do that's going to impress him, right? Is, is, so is, is God like this big boss, and we bring him our resumes, and he's looking for the best people? You know, he, he grabs them, and he's like, oh, wow, man, would you please come work for me? Be, man, be on my side. You would make me so much better if I just had you. No, no, right? Or, man, that's not how it works. God doesn't need anything from us. We're not impressive to him, and those are two lies that we get sucked into all the time. We're trying to earn standing with God, but there's nothing he needs from us. So how, how, is, how is Jesus going to respond to this idea of, I've got to do something to be pleasing to you? Let's look at verse 17. And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter eternal life, just keep the commandments. Okay, so Jesus is, is talking to this guy and he says, um, are you sure that's the route you want to take, right? Do you want to take the good enough route? Is that the conversation we're going to have? And then Jesus says, if you're going to take that route, okay, I'm going to be good enough, there's only one person who makes it, 
And that's God himself, right? So all the rest fall short. All the rest of us are deficient. Um, Only one person qualifies because you have to be perfect. So Romans 3.23 says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It says early in Romans, verse 10, um, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside together and have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. The, the book of Isaiah even goes further and says, all of our works, all of our, our righteousness is as filthy garments before the Lord. Okay, so here's what that's saying. Even on your best day, even, you ever have one of those days where you just feel like you knock it out of the park spiritually? You're like, man, I read my Bible today. I, I witnessed to my neighbor. My kids were terrible and I didn't beat them senseless. Like, you're like, I've had a good day, you know? I have honored God. Even on that day, you are completely deficient and you have nothing to boast in, nothing to offer God. And even if you did, it would be nothing but like filthy rags to him. We are so needy and poor. But Jesus goes on to, to humor the man. He, he actually says, all right, let's, let's just, let's work this thing out. Um, you want to use the perfection scale. Okay, all you've got to do is keep all the commandments. Okay, that's what he says to him. And to which the, the man re- replies in verse 18, okay, which ones? And now he's wanting to get specific, right? Let's narrow it down. Let's see what, I, what I've got to do to be perfect. Um, he he kind of comes with this attitude of, Jesus, I'm so close to eternal life. Like, I'm going to get it myself, okay? Just, all I need you for, you just kind of point me in the right direction, okay? So I, I can do it on my own. You just show me what I've got to do to get it. So Jesus starts listing um, the, the first or the second part of the Ten Commandments. Um, we, we notice that he, leads, he leaves out the first and hardest commandments, okay? All ten are impossible to keep, by the way. But he leaves out the first five about um, a heart that loves God more than all others. He leaves out those, and he gives them the easier of the still impossible to keep about loving your neighbor. So he starts mentioning, he says, okay, man, don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. Don't covet. So he's listing these things to him. And, And the guy in verse 20 starts to say, okay, I've got it. Like, I've got that down. I've kept all these. What else? So, so he's really using God's law like a divine to-do list, all right? Don't murder? Check. I have never killed anybody. Don't commit adultery. Got that one. Honor your father and mother. So he's going through saying, check, check, check. What's next? And that's the kind of heart he has. He doesn't get that he is completely broken and sinful. He doesn't get that he has not been pleasing to God. He really doesn't understand that God's laws and commandment weren't given as a divine to-do list. They, God's commandments and laws were given to showcase God's glory, not ours, right? It's to, it's to showcase this is what perfection looks like and God alone can do it. And when we try and when we attempt, it's, it's supposed to show us how completely pathetic we are, right? We can't even keep those for one day. So that's what the, the commandments were there for. But this man thinks he's doing great and he thinks he's right on track to inheriting eternal life. He's really got um, the the sin of pride and self-righteousness, okay? All sins are dangerous, okay? Man, all sins are blinding. Lust is blinding. Greed is blinding, okay? All those are blinding. Nothing shuts out truth more than pride and self-righteousness. It it completely says, I, okay, I've got it. You know, don't don't tell me I need anything. I can handle this. That's what, what that sin does, and that's what this man is doing too. Uh, right here, Jesus, 
he could have easily responded in a different way. He could have, um, he could have repeat, preached the Sermon on the Mount, right? He could have started and said, hey, here's what's true. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay, he could have started there. He could have worked through it and shown him, hey, you have broke those commandments. You remember adultery we were talking about? Have you ever lusted? You know, he could have went that route. You've, you've committed adultery in your hearts many times. He could have said, hey, have you ever have had anger in your, towards your brother? That Man, that's murder. He could have went that route that he had already done on the Sermon of the Mount. But what he does is he skips over all that and he's gonna set his crosshairs right on the guy's greatest treasure. He looks deep into him. He can read him like a book and he says, okay, you say you've kept all these impossible things to do? Fine then, I'll give you something that is within your ability to do. I'll give you something that you can tangibly get up and right now leave and go do if you really want the kingdom of heaven, if it's your greatest treasure. So let's read verse 21. So Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go, sell what you possess, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Okay, so he, he's asking him to do something really crazy here. Hey, Whitney, can you go get me my water, please? It's on the back or someone, anyone? Thank you. All right, my mouth's just getting really dry. Okay, so he asked him to do something that's extremely crazy, right? I mean, think about this. Think of all of our possessions and all that we have, okay? Now, it would take a lot to just go get rid of everything you have, right? To consolidate it and sell it and then give it to the poor. And that's what Jesus is just asking him to do. Now, up until this point, the guy's been completely comfortable with all of Jesus's words, okay? He's, he's fine with keeping rules. Hey, I'll, I'll keep commandments. I'll keep rules. I'll, I'll follow a checklist every day. Read my Bible, add that, got it. Tithe, can do that and give part of my money. Okay, man, you just tell me what to do. Show up in Sunday school. Man, I've, I'm good at checking stuff off a list. So he's perfectly comfortable with that. But when it gets to radical sacrificial obedience that the Christian life demands for everyone, he's like, okay, I don't like where this is going, Jesus. I, I was okay with these rules and checklists, but like to, to give you control over everything? I don't know about that. And so here's two, two big things that we see in this verse. We, we shouldn't miss these, okay? Do not be mistaken. This is number one. Anyone who is called to follow after Christ will have to be radical and sacrificial in their obedience to him. That's the call to the Christian life. He bids you come and die. Like that's the call to Christians. You, you give up the world, okay? Man, your, your time is not yours anymore. Your possessions is, are not yours anymore. Your wealth is not yours anymore. Your family is not yours anymore. Okay, your comfort, like all of these, your life itself, you give them up and you follow me. Okay, here, here he asks this man to do something really radical. He says, you give up all of your wealth and all of your possessions, okay? I don't think Jesus is gonna ask us all to do that, okay? But if you're relieved right now, if you're like, oh, I'm thankful we didn't go that direction, he probably would have asked you to, right? If you're the person who's like, man, I'm really glad he doesn't ask us to give up all of our money and wealth, then that's the kind of heart where he would say to you, go get rid of it. It's standing in the way between you and I. Okay, you see, in, in our culture, we have this problem where we only think of wealth as a blessing. Like that, we, we, don't have, we, don't, we don't have 
any idea that it's something that can separate and even keep people from, from loving God and obeying him. We, we only think, you know, we get, it, we get more money, we get a bonus, we get a check where it's like, oh, thanks God, what a wonderful blessing. And it could even be something like this man who's driving him further away from the kingdom of heaven. So that, that's the first thing that we need to understand. All Christians are called to radical, sacrificial obedience. It looks different for all of us, but, um, but God will make sure that you prize nothing else more than him if you're his child. You can be sure of that. Number two, so number one, we're all called to radical, sacrificial obedience. Number two, we have no reason to feel sorry for ourselves because Jesus also promises a radical treasure for all those who come after him, all right? I I wonder if the guy even caught that as Jesus was reading the verse. He says, hey, go sell all of your possessions, go give them away, there will be treasure in heaven, right? He tells him that. He says, you can let go of that stuff, there's better stuff coming. I, I wonder if the guy missed that completely because as soon as he heard, I have to give up my stuff, he was like, oh, he didn't even listen after that. So, so I, I think what we see there is, man, we, we should be encouraged as Christians. Man, there, there is a great reward waiting for those who follow after Christ. That's, how, that's right here in the passage. That's how the passage ends, okay? Even though this guy doesn't see that, Peter does, okay? Later in the passage, Peter says to him, he says, God, tell me about this great reward we get for leaving everything. Like he was listening, Okay, he heard it and he wanted to know about it. And, and we've got to remember that. There is a great and sure reward coming for those who follow after Christ. And it's better. It's infinitely much better than the junk of this world. All right, it's better than what this world's gonna offer you. And the world does have lots of treasure to offer you. Okay, it, it'll, it'll offer you anything, okay? Just to try to get you to, to follow after it or to trade it out. So that, that's the kind of heart um, that God's looking for. He's looking for someone who would give up the things of this world and come to him broke and poor and, um, man, and, and wanting him, okay? So this, this man, he thinks he can earn salvation. He's kind of got this attitude of, of I'm, I'm gonna do it all on my own, but, but Jesus really wants him to come to him poor and empty, and, and the guy doesn't have that in him. Matthew verses five, or chapter 5, verse 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Man, um, we, we need to realize God loves to pour out his riches and his kindness and his grace on people who are broken and needy. Like, that, that's the people he's looking for. Not the people who are like, hey, I've got enough, I'm good, I'm fine. But people who come to him saying, I have nothing without you. That's, that's what he does for the kids. He sees their humility. He sees their humble hearts like, God, I don't have anything to offer you. Would you just pray with me? And he's glad to oblige. I think this man's biggest problem is that he was so rich, he had a hard time seeing himself as poor. Look at verse 22. When the young man heard all of this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So you know why this man's sad? He can't have both, okay? He can't, bo- he can't have the eternal life he wants and his most valuable treasure, which is his wealth. He doesn't want to, to let it go. It's, it's, a, it's a price he w- isn't willing to pay. I do believe he, he wanted eternal life. Man, he, he's the one who sought Jesus out, right? Like he came looking for him. He's the one who asked the question. He's the one who, who was coming up saying, you just tell me, tell me what to do because I want it more than anything. But the truth is that he doesn't want it more than his wealth and his status. 
this shows us the sad truth about not only this man's life, but really the human condition. There are things that, that we prize and love so much that we would sacrifice the kingdom of heaven for. That we would say, okay, I, you know, God, I, I, I want it, it's great, but if I have to give up this, okay, you know, my, my position, my wealth, my status, this particular sin, okay, my comfort, my family, if I have to give up that, you can count me out. Okay, that, that's where this guy is. For him, it's his wealth. Because of that, he walks away from Jesus sorrowful. Um, what, wouldn't it have been great if he didn't, right? So if he did the opposite, wouldn't, wouldn't this story have been amazing and glorious if what, what happened is the, treasure, the parable of the treasure in the field took place in flesh and bone in this man? So, so just like uh, Matthew 13 says that he, he comes upon this treasure in the field, he stumbles across it, he realizes that the kingdom of heaven is worth more than he could ever dream of. So, so when Jesus says, hey, go sell your possessions, he runs off and he does it with joy, knowing that he's got the better treasure waiting for him, right? Wouldn't it have been awesome if that was his heart? But instead, we see that he values what this world has to offer now even more than what um, the kingdom of heaven promises. At this point in the narrative, the, the man leaves and Jesus turns the conversation towards his disciples and he's going to, um, and he's going to teach them something about, about wealthy people. Um, and, and this is a point, man, we, we should always pay attention to God's scripture, but we should definitely pay attention when it directly addresses us, okay? And, and this, this passage, I think, is one that directly addresses you and I because we are extremely wealthy people, okay? We, we live in the wealthiest nation around, Okay, and most of us have more than the rest of the world could ever dream of. I, I would even go as far as to say, is the us sitting in, here in this room, all of us, we have more possessions and wealth than the rich young ruler did. Okay, he lived in a, a broke down, okay, part where everybody was in poverty and he had more than everybody else. Man, we are not impoverished in America. Okay, you, you saw this at Christmas. I guarantee you, you saw this at Christmas. We, after we got done from, from Christmas, I had my kids bring all their toys in and before they could play with them, I made them go get an equal amount of their old toys to get rid of. Like, could we have so much junk? We really do. Like, man, we, we have so much stuff. I, I was prayer walking on Monday and I saw a husband and wife open up the back of their vehicle and it was like a Christmas bomb. Like, they, they knew it was coming too. They're like, oh, this is gonna be bad. You know, so they're, they're getting ready to open it. Okay, and the wife's down here. She's gonna catch and they open and gifts are just like, okay. They caught a few of them, but most of them went crashing to the ground. Man, we are literally bursting at the seams with wealth. We really are. So when, when Jesus is talking here about rich people, I think it would be wise for us not to rule ourselves out. I think we need to, to listen and pay attention to his word, starting in verse 23. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter into the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to get to the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is saying, hey, it is, it is normal. It is normal for wealth to keep people out of heaven. That happens all the time. That is the usual thing, okay? He, in, in fact, he's even saying it's impossible for wealthy people to come to the kingdom of heaven um, unless he's involved. So he, he's saying that, that rich people 
always have a problem seeing how broke they are. Okay, that, that always gets in the way because when you, when you have so much money in your bank account, okay, when, when you don't have to worry about your meal to, today or tomorrow or next week, when you, when you have that kind of life where you don't have to worry about being deficient, it's hard to ever feel needy. I'm not like real needy. Like I'm so broke, I have nothing. Rich people don't know what it's like to feel like that. I don't know what it's like to feel like I, I have nothing. No home to go to, no, no food to eat. Okay, I, I don't know what that's like. The Bible says that's our spiritual state. We're com- completely deficient. We have nothing to offer God. We're bankrupt. And, and that's where the gospel starts. It, it starts at saying, hey, you have nothing to give to God. You have nothing to offer him. And, and unless someone can find that starting point, they're never gonna go any further. They have to at least be able to acknowledge their desperate spiritual poverty and that they need God. And this man can't do it. Um, we, we, we're not used to feeling needy. Um, most of us can't even handle the feeling for a few seconds. Like, have you guys ever been at Walmart and your credit card doesn't work? Isn't that terrible? Okay, you have like this long line of people behind you and you run it and then the lady's like, excuse me, sir, your credit card's not working. Okay, a lot of times like you feel the shame and like, oh my gosh, everybody's staring at me. And then you're like, I know I've done this before. Like, I feel the need to talk out loud to make it seem better, right? It's like, I, you check your stupid machines, okay? They, they're probably broken. It's you know, like, you need to type the number in. It just didn't register. Or, man, I, I put $10,000 in the bank yesterday. You know, it must be my bank's fault. You know, like just make something up. So you don't, it's like anything but everybody seeing I'm needy and deficient, right? We'll, we'll use any excuse at all not to have people think that we're broken. Um, man, that, that's the culture we live in. But let me, let me let you in on a little secret. Um, everybody already knows we're broken. They already, they already know we're deficient, okay? And, and here in a little bit, we're, we're gonna see this actually lived out in front of us, people's pride standing in the way of their needs, okay? Here in a minute, we're gonna have an altar call, okay? We're gonna have an invitation, and, that, and that's for needy and broken people, like all of us, okay? To, to come up here and get on our hands and knees and say, God, I desperately need you, right? That's what the altar call is for, okay? But people's pride and their self-righteousness will stand in the way. They will say, I don't want people knowing what's going on in my lives. I don't want them knowing I don't have it all together, okay? That, that's what they'll say. We already, we already know we're all broken, okay? Let, let's, let's stop pretending that everything is okay when it's not. We all desperately need God. And this altar up here is for broken people, okay? Otherwise, I'd have no business being up here right now. Okay, Pastor Jason, Pastor Gary, Pastor Andrew, Michelle, Bonnie, none of us could be up here, okay, unless it was for broken and needy people. That's all of our condition. We need God's grace. So here in a minute when we do that, man, remember that this is for you. This is for all of us. So um, back to the passage. Jesus has just told his disciples how difficult, even impossible it is for rich people to enter heaven. And let's see how they respond to verse 25 and 26. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So the disciples, they are having a real hard time with the events of today. Okay? Jesus welcomes in the kids who have nothing to offer. You know, they, they have anything to brag on or boast on. He, wel- he welcomes in him. He lets the rich guy who seemingly has everything together go, right? 
It's kind of a reverse of, of what they would think would be so. And so they're, they're sitting here thinking, man, if the rich guy who has so much to give and who, who says he's kept all the commandments has so much to offer God, if he can't make it to heaven, what hope is there for anyone? And then Jesus, he's got a great response. He says, there's not any hope for anyone. It's impossible for everyone unless I'm at work in them. Okay, so you see, we, we have a God who does the work for us, the work we're incapable of. That, that's why he demands we come to him acknowledging our brokenness. Okay, we, we have a God who opens our, our spiritually blind eyes, a God who can take our hearts that love the wrong things of this world, because that's how we all come into the world. We, we treasure things we shouldn't treasure. He can rewire them. He can give us a new heart and a new desires that love him and love the, the treasures that, that his kingdom has to offer. That, that's the God we serve. And we, we need to remember, God shows his grace to who? To the person who comes needy and broken before him. And, and, and he pours out his grace on them. Grace that's life-changing grace. Grace that not only gives them what, what they don't deserve, which is grace, but also gives them what they need, okay? You're, you're spiritually deficient in loving. You're spiritually deficient in forgiving. Come to a God who has an abundance of that, okay? You're needy. He'll give you what you need. Let's end by looking at verse 27. And this is where Peter has really been paying attention to God. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What will we have? Okay, so Peter, he, he's been paying attention to Jesus' words. And even though everybody else missed it, he really grabbed onto that reward and treasure in heaven thing because he got it. He said, man, I left everything. Okay, I left my, my house, my family, my friends, my job. Okay, I, I gave up my life and I followed after God. Jesus, please tell me what this great reward is. And, um, and Jesus is glad to do it. And Jesus is always happy to, to tell people what's waiting for them if they, if they follow after him. And that's what verses 28 and 30 shows, or through 30 shows. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man sits on the glorious throne, you, will have, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone... So that includes us as Christians who have left houses or brothers or sister or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive them a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. So Jesus, he, he kind of ends this passage up and, and wraps it up by saying, hey, don't you worry. It's not in vain. The reward is great. And it's for you. Okay. And, and, and he encourages them with that. It, you may have had to let go of all this wonderful. Don't worry. That's nothing. That is nothing compared to what's waiting for you in glory. All right, that's, that's a truth we should hold on to as Christians. Man, we need to remember that. We need to remind each other of that. We need to live like it's true. And when people are going through the really hard times of this life, which there's a lot, we need to get over there and say, hey, man, remember, the, man, the reward's great. Man, trust God. Give him control of it. He's not gonna let you down. He has promised good things to all those who come after him. Just like Hebrews eleven six says, man, we have a God who is uh, faithful to reward all who follow after him.